hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These words are true. And may you be trusted. Can we pray real quick? <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this church. And thank you for this year. Uh, 2023 was a lot of things to a lot of people. Some people feel really good about this year, and some people are on the far other end of the spectrum, and some of us are somewhere in the middle. Uh, but just like that song so eloquently says, uh, you have been faithful every single step of the way. And we are so outrageously grateful for you and your constant presence in our lives. As we gather this morning and we open the word, God, speak to each and every one of us. Soften our hearts, mold our hearts, build us into who you want us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. All right. Hello. If you don't know me, my name is Ty Hill. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm also the director of Trinity Kids. Um, it also hits me, uh, not only am I a pastor here, I'm one of the only pastors here. It is the time of year that a lot of people in ministry take a break. This is famously known across the United States as Youth Pastor Sunday, where the lead pastor gets to take a breather after the crazy holiday season, and the youth pastor gets to come up here. Uh, and... I like to believe I'm very unsupervised today, so I get to just talk about whatever I would like to talk about, so this is between you and me, all right? We're just, we're in this together. Uh, I am so excited to get to talk to you guys. Um, today is also an interesting Sunday because uh, in Trinity Kids, we're only doing ages zero to three, so you might see a few kids around the room. Uh, parents, uh, you are uh, your kids are very welcome in here. Uh, it feels strange for me to get to speak for any amount of time and not be interrupted by screaming or someone pulling on my pants. So, like, if, if there is interruptions, don't worry. My daughter was the one in the first Christmas Eve service last week that kept going during uh, Pastor Mike's message. I want a snack! So I'm, <laughs> I, I am very, very comfortable with all of this. Um, we wanted to, for a couple of reasons. One, we were low staff, or volunteer-wise, mentor-wise, for Trinity Kids Across the Board for obvious reasons reasons, um, but also we wanted to give those who volunteer so faithfully a break. Um, and this is my regular, anytime that I'm put up on stage, I want to ask you guys that if you have space in your life on Sunday mornings, I have a space for you down the hall uh, to help with Trinity Kids in any level that you are willing. Um, our mentors, which is what we call our volunteers, work so hard to love on the kids and the families in this church in so many, so many, so many different ways. And one of the biggest needs is for people down there. That can be you loving and directing fourth graders in ways that maybe you didn't even know that you could. And maybe it's you holding a baby every other week in one service. So if you have a space 
come talk to me, talk to Jess, who's right here, who is also wearing a gray flannel, we always, or a gray uh, button-up shirt. We always seem to match. It's very strange. Um, so find somebody that's in a gray button-up flannel, apparently. Talk to us if you would like to volunteer in Trinity Kids. We would love, love, love to have you. Now, as I talk a lot about uh, from stage, I am a parent. I'm a younger parent in the sense that my oldest is three and a half. I have a daughter named Corey who's three and a half and a son named Zeeland who is one and a half. So I am in the thick of it. Um, and in my parenting, there is a lot of things that I am not good at that I expected to be good at. I thought I was going to be a lot more patient of a parent. And that, uh, that 18th time that their toy on their karaoke, karaoke Cocoa Melon machine goes off, I'm ready to start throwing things through windows. Um, so I'm not nearly as patient as I expected to be, but one of the things that I am proud of that Kinsey and I, my wife Kinsey, um, have done well, we, we, uh, we, we've seen the fruits of our labor, is sleep training. Um, from the time that my daughter, my oldest, was four or five months old, she was sleeping through the night. And when I say through the night, I'm not, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> through the night. Uh, so uh, by six months, when I say through the night, I mean 12 hours a night. 12 hours. None of you in this room get 12 hours. I don't get 12 hours. My kids do. And not only that, they take three-hour naps during the day still to this day. Both of my kids take a three-hour nap except when they're here at school, which is two hours. But on the weekends, I get a three-hour nap during the day from them, and I get 12 hours a night. That is something that I have, my wife and I have done successfully. I'm not trying to brag. I'm trying to say something here, lay a groundwork. That is something that I believe we've done right. Every single night, I have time that I know my kids get thrown into their rooms. I don't actually do that, but sometimes it feels like it at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I get to close the door and then I get to just decompress and not be needed and not be screamed at and not need to fill, give a thousand different snacks and hear Cocomelon a thousand times again. So it's something that I'm very, very proud of. But even in that, I have what I believe are the greatest sleepers on the entire planet, and I have been questioned so many times by my extended family back home when I do anything that has to do with their sleep schedule. If it is time for them to wake up from their nap and they are still sleeping, I say, oh, it's 3.30, it's time to go wake up the kids. I cannot tell you how many times I've been told by people, hey, you never wake a sleeping child, even though I'm like, are you kidding me? You realize I get 12 hours of sleep every night because of this, and you have advice for me? If you have been a parent before, you know everyone's got an opinion on every single choice that you have ever made. If you open up Instagram, you will find a thousand posts a minute that have something to say about the way that you parent. They have opinions on whether or not you should do public or private school. And some people are like, public or private? Homeschool is the way to go, you psycho. They have opinions on how do you sleep, co-sleeping, breastfeeding or formula feeding. They have opinions on uh, everything from uh, video games and screen time and all the things in between. We could just put a, a, a bucket here with a bunch of different parenting strategies in here. I pull one out and us in this room could probably argue over it over the next hour very easily. We all have opinions and we like our opinions to be heard. Many of us are victims of people giving us way too much advice, but we are also culprits whether we like to admit it or not. I definitely am one of those as well. Now, 
Advice ambushing is not exclusive to parenting. There are uh, plenty of young adults in the room, especially single young adults in the room who just got done with a month of seeing family who question every decision that they've made since they've turned 18. Uh, why are you working the job? Why aren't you married yet? If you're married, congratulations. When are you having kids already? You've been questioned on every single choice that you make all the time. Everybody's got opinions about your life and everything that they want you to do. Now, but what we actually know when we look in our heart is life is not a straight line. Parenting is not a straight line. Relationships are not a straight line. There are right things to do and wrong things to do, but there is no like factual 100%, here is the exact right way to parent, here's the exact right way to be with your friends, here's the exact right way to be in relationship and date, uh, here's the exact right way to operate in your marriage. We all have different things that ebb and flow. There are rights and wrongs to be clear. This is not me saying, do whatever you want, follow your heart. That is not what I'm saying. But. We all have different strategies. We've all gotten to where we are, learned so many lessons, different things work for our kids or our friendships or our relationships. Life is not a straight line. Now, I was a counseling psychology major in college, and when we talk about family, a phrase that comes up a lot is the phrase family formation. Family formation is something uh, that is spoken about a lot in counseling, a lot in psychology, a lot in professional health services across the board, and many of us have heard it as well. Basically what it is, to give two very quick baseline definitions, is family formation is socio-norms of any given culture based around the structure and purpose of a family and the individual structure and roles, purpose and, and the goals of the family unit. So there's both levels of this. So there's family formation culturally, where we, let's just say America, we have this idea of what family formation looks like for the most part over the last 70-ish years of, of husband and wife, kids, dog, house. This is a family formation, um, uh, a structure that a lot of people abide by. And then you have your unique family formation. If you have a family uh, and any way, shape, or form, whether it's your family or a family that you've been a part of, you are the kid or the young adult that's just stepping out, there's been some kind of expectation of who has what role in the family. What does the dad do? What does the mom do? What do the kids do? What's the oldest do? What's the youngest do? What's the expectation there? What, are, what standard are you held to? Um, there are all kinds of different expectations, whether it comes to the conversations culturally, I'm not talking about in the church, but like marriage or cohabitation. Uh, we can talk about different parenting styles, or are you going to have kids or not? This generation is having a lot less kids, mostly because it is so stinking expensive to have kids, but still, nonetheless, uh, this generation is having a lot less kids. Um, we can talk about social or economic roles, uh, where it used to be very traditional for the man to work, the woman to stay home and raise the children. That is not necessarily the case. Sometimes the roles are completely reversed, but a lot of times in today's culture, especially with my generation, both the man and the woman are working, and so a lot more kids are in childcare or school systems much earlier on. There's a lot of changes that go with there. Um, timing and sequencing of when you're going to have kids, when you're going to get married, and everything in between, all of that falls under formation. So basically, what family formation is, is it's strategy. How many different strategies can you have for every single iota of your life? Now, I'm talking a lot about family. This is not just about family formation. This is not just about the structure. I'm talking about structure of your life. How are you building your life up? What strategies are you taking to be who you want to be? 
Family formation is the family version of that. What strategies are you taking to make sure that your kids don't grow up to be psychos, that they have some level of self-control and they are nice to people and don't like bite a teacher or something like that? Uh, what strategies are you taking to make all of that happen? Now, we need a pretty, when it comes to families, we need a pretty regular reminder here in the United States of America that our current kind of, especially in the Christian church, our current family formation uh, strategy that's kind of across the board is not historically the way it has always been. And it is not even now currently the way it is across the United States. Uh, there is a guy named Jefferson Bethke who wrote a book. Um, I'm going to say the book, but just know this isn't me giving my like full like, hey, go read this book. It's a great book. I love Jefferson. I love his books. But I just want you to hear there's a lot of things in this book that I don't necessarily align with either. So I'm just going to say it. Um, uh, it's called Taking Back the Family. And one of the greatest things about this book that Jefferson does is he does a great breakdown at the history of the modern family. So everything from biblical times back in Abraham and how his family was structured all the way to today. And something that he really points out is the way that we have stri family structured here in America uh, is new. For thousands of years, there was this baseline structure that families would all be together, living together in community, raising, doing the same jobs, living life together, that grandparents down to great grandkids all lived either in the same house or the same neighborhood. And, and it was this family unit that was huge that surrounded each other and helped build each other up. In today's culture, about the 1950s after World Wars and, um, and, and we had a little bit of an economic boom, this thing came to be called the American dream. And it was tied to this phrase that existed, but uh, really took a, a liking to it, the, the nuclear family, which is the, the most central part of the family, the parents and the kids. That's your nuclear family. And it was tied to this American dream that was all about mom and dad get married, have kids, get a dog, buy a house, white picket fence, dad works, mom stays home, takes care of the house, and, and takes care of the family. And it was built into this very uh, 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 very strict system where you were individualized. You broke yourself apart from everyone else and you were focused solely on yourself. And Jefferson presents in this book that he believes that the American dream is a very failed experiment. We tried something new and now we're reaping the benefits of it. He talks about everything from all the statistics that many of us know about fatherlessness, about when a child loses a father in some way, shape or form, the statistics of different things coming up in their life negatively, whether it be behavioral or mental or so many different structural systems fall apart in their lives when that man leaves their life. That wasn't as clear as day back then because when, when they lost their father, they were built into a network, into a community that was surrounding them already. They had other men, other people to step into their life and fill that role to the best of their ability. There were structures built around. Now, this is not me saying, I'm not going down a rabbit hole where I'm saying family formation needs to go back to the 1960s. I'm not saying any of that, or I'm sorry, even before that, I'm not talking about biblical family. I'm not even going down that path of what you should do. Today is not about advice giving. If you want to talk about how to get your kids to sleep longer, if, if you're going to have a baby soon, come talk to me. I'll give you advice off the table. Uh, I'm not going to be giving advice up here. That's not my strategy today. Now, what I do want you to hear is that when we look at family formation, when we look at the formation and structure of our lives, 
there are so many different strategies that you can get caught up in. There are good things about the past. There's good things about the present. There's so many great things that we have access to today that people didn't back then. But still, we feel like we are constantly, constantly, constantly drowning in suggestions and advice and people telling us what we need to do. Now, I want you to hear this. Formation of our relational units whether they be family, friendship, marriage, dating, and beyond, all bear a familiar, overwhelming weight of biblical Jewish cultures bearing the weight of the law. There is a heavy expectation on every single decision that you could possibly make in every relationship, every friendship, and parenting, in, in relationship with your parents. That can be a very uh, heavy minefield when you become an adult. There is heavy, heavy, heavy pressure on every decision you make. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament history and Jewish law and how that all kind of ebbed and flowed from the beginning, from when we started with Abraham and the Hebrews and led then to Moses and the Israelites going out on their own and, and then becoming a nation and all this, you look at the Old Testament and it is overwhelmingly structured and built out of rules for every single thing you could possibly think of. Jews had rules for every single day of the week, every single action they took, the foods they ate, um, what they had to do to be clean enough to enter the temple, um, how women had to cleanse themselves after menstrual cycles, so many different things, everything that went, be there was, there was a, a, a instruction on every single thing that you did, and that was a very overwhelming thing. And to give you the 15 second version of why that was, is because their sin had not been paid for. Just like us, the Israelites were sinful people. The Jews were sinful people, and sin separates us from God. And so to mend that gap, a price had to be paid for sin. And God established in the, in the Bible that blood had to be shed, that there had to be law, that the, the, the consequence, the price of sin is death. And so in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices made to push back that sin, not to fully cleanse. It was a temporary kind of situation. And they had to keep pushing that back and pushing that back and pushing that back until Jesus finally came. And what we say in, in Trinity Kids is Jesus finally came and solved our sin problem. But until then, they had to follow as many rules as possible. And a lot of times the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the Jewish officials, especially in the four gospels, they get a lot of flack because of how harsh they were. But a lot of times they were harsh for, with good intentions. They were solely trying to keep God's people in, in check so that they didn't wander away from him again and get caught up in Babylonian exile again or get caught in slavery again or be torn apart again. They were being outrageously strict, not because they were mean and power hungry. Some definitely were, but they had watched what happened when God's people wandered from God and they said, okay, now we got to make a rule for every single thing you can possibly do. Some of you have to do that with your kids. I have to do it with some of your kids on Sunday morning, where we have to make really strict expectations because if you leave anything open-ended, they're gonna find that avenue and they're gonna take off. That's exactly what Israel did. Now, with us, we have this uh, knowledge that uh, uh, every decision we make feels like it has a lifetime consequence. As a parent, if my kid watches a tablet, so we just went home for the holidays, five-hour drive there, five-hour drive back. I have two kids, you think for a second, you think for a second I did not let them hold that tablet. Every single second of that drive, you're crazy. They sure did. They watched that tablet every moment, and I need you to know I don't feel guilty about it because I would have lost my ever-loving mind. But that doesn't mean that I don't think about that stuff, that I don't think about every decision that I make as a parent that, like, 
uh, man, like, are they, watch, are they watching that too much? Are they going to, like, not be able to focus? Are they going to have uh, attention issues or something like that? My kids are excellent sleepers. And I put them to bed and think, because I leave them in bed alone at night, do they feel abandoned or do they feel like I don't love them and I don't want to spend time with them or I don't want to like have them in my bed and snuggle and cuddle and spend time with them? I constantly am thinking through all those things. We all do that with every part of our lives. Every part of our lives is so focused on this. Now, I want to show you this. Pull up the next slide. I have a slide here that says foundation and formation. Now, that usually means greater than and technically I'm saying that, but I want you to see it more as an arrow. Foundation comes before this idea of formation. If formation is strategy and all the things that you're trying to execute, form, uh, foundation is the groundwork that you have laid before. Foundation is the thing that you have set. Um, let me ask you a question. What would the people in your life say is the foundation of your life? The most important thing to you. The fun thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to pull some of your kids up here and I wanted to say, Okay, tell me right now and everyone in the crowd, what is most important to your dad? What's most important to your mom? If you were to say three things that are most important in your house, what would they say? Now, depending on their age, that could be different things. Let me tell you what my daughter would say. And I came to this conclusion while I was preparing for this sermon over the last uh, six or so weeks, and it was not a good revelation. I really started thinking, okay, three and a half years old, she doesn't know much, so she's witnessing and taking everything in. What would she say is the most important? Do I read the Bible to her? Yes. Do I try to teach her songs? Do, do we have so many people here, Trinity kids that love her? She goes to childcare here. Um, they pour into her all the time. I think about the weekends in the fall. And I think of the difference between Saturdays and Sundays. Saturdays in the fall are really fun. We have this thing called Cinnamon Roll Saturday, which I inherited from my gram. My gram used to come to our house every single Saturday. We would make cinnamon rolls. We would eat them together. Um, and just, it was this very simple thing that literally happened every single week. And now we've done that for our kids um, in trying to just establish this fun tradition. And then at 9 a.m. in the fall comes college game day. And every TV, TV in the house has college game day on. I take a TV out on my back deck. And even when I'm doing yard work or anything like that, we've got college football on um, just all day. We're together as a family. I'm playing with the kids in the backyard. We're watching football. My son now screams football every time he sees any sport on television just because it's such a fun thing to him. Dad is with them all day. It's so great. That's a pretty average uh, Saturday in uh, the fall. Uh, then there comes Sunday. Sunday is dad is out of the house before they're awake. This is ministry dad. Uh, dad is out of the house before they're awake. Mom gets them ready by themselves, which is just, God bless her. She is a saint because she does that every single week and they are not kind to her on Sunday mornings. Uh, and so they get to church at about 10, 15 minutes before service starts. I give them a big hug and then basically toss them in their rooms with their wonderful mentors to which they're either staying one service or both services in those classrooms that they might see little flashes of me. And then mom has to rush them home from church to get them fed as quick as she can and then tossed into bed for a nap. And so basically they don't barely see me, they don't see me when they wake up, they see me for flashes at church on Sundays and then they see me 3.30 when they're done with their nap. And so I came to this realization of like, are my kids gonna like college football more than church because they get to spend that time with their dad and they get to feel that joy? Because when they see me, they see me running around trying to fill holes because a mentor got sick and we're down on ratio and we need a classroom covered or something like that. So they see stressed out dad on Sunday morning and joyful dad on Saturday. And I went, oh no, 
So this is not me telling you, hey, get this right, be more like me. This is like, a, oh, I'm coming to this conclusion that my foundations with my kids maybe not be as evident. I also had this moment, now I'm 31 years old, I still play video games, I'm not ashamed about it. I play video games with my friends from high school and my brothers and my cousins back home pretty regularly. It's a great time, I love spending time with them now. Not all of them are saved, um, and as a matter of fact, many of them are very not saved. Um, and I try to love them and teach them. My wife can be a testament that um, she has heard me share the gospel with them over my headset in front of my gaming computer, which is a very unique experience that, that the Lord opened up for me. Um, I've had great conversations in that way, but also I'm not gonna sit here and say, I don't start each video game with prayer. <laughs> I don't. So they spend time with me and we make connections throughout the world on this. We have random friends that I didn't go to high school with. We have this guy named Riley that I've been playing video games with for three years now. Um, and uh, we spend a lot of time together. We talk and play these games and I get to know him. I know he has two kids just like me, so we talk about our kids all the time. And just a few weeks ago, we were talking, and it was a Saturday night, it was getting kind of late, so I said, hey guys, I gotta go out, get off, I have work in the morning, which is, for a lot of people, strange to hear when it's a Saturday night. And my cousin, who is a believer and who knows what I do, was just giving me a hard time and said, what, you got a sermon to preach in the morning? Which is just like a really lame joke to make. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Riley, my friend that I've known for three years over these video games, says, Ty, do you preach? And I said, uh, and I braced myself for a very awkward conversation of like, oh, he's going to be weirded out by me now. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor at a church in Indianapolis. Um, I work with kids and, and I've been in ministry for about 10 years. And I'm like trying to like think, how can I make him feel less awkward? How can I make him feel less weird about this if he's embarrassed about the things that he said or done or something like that? And he said, oh, that's cool. He said, I'm a part of my church's worship band. Me and my wife are active members in our church here in Canada. And I thought, I've known this guy for three years and neither one of us knew the other person was a believer. That's a botched opportunity for me. That shows that my foundation wasn't very clear to him. Now, it's not always clear cut, it's not always straightforward, and it's not always easy and simple, but what we learn uh, in the Bible and so many times, especially through Jesus and through Paul, is that foundationally, that is what you need to set your mind on because there are so many different strategies of how I could have tried to bring up Jesus more on video games. There are so many different strategies that I can take in my parenting to try to make sure that my kids know Jesus and it can get feel very overwhelming and overbearing. And there was a moment that in the scripture that we had Ainsley read this morning in Matthew uh, that Jesus was asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Now this is the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trick him into uh, saying something dumb that they can accuse him of, maybe get him killed or thrown in prison or accuse him of heresy in some way, shape or form. And this is what he said. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. Then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets depend on these two things. All of the law and prophets depend on these two things. Jesus also said that he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fill it, came to finalize it. But he says, listen, everything that goes on in here comes down to a very popular phrase today, love God, love people. Now, that phrase kind of becomes this new age Christianity a lot of times of like, as long as you're loving God and loving other people, do whatever you want. That is not what the Bible says. Let me be very clear. But what Jesus does say is foundationally in all of this, it falls down to two things, loving God with everything you have and taking that love and giving it to other people. 
and Trinity Kids. And Trinity is a church. You guys just don't recite it as much as I do every single week in Trinity Kids. But this is a statement we believe as a church. At Trinity Kids, we love God, love one another, and help others to know and love God. Oh my goodness, beautifully. Thank, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Foundationally, in Trinity Kids, I'm not trying to get them to understand every strategy uh, uh, of living their life. I don't teach them, here's how to find a godly woman for marriage. I'm trying to lay foundations so that they can build off of it alongside you. That's what we're trying to do in Trinity Kids. And so we're trying to lay the groundwork of who God is, who God says that they are, and what that means, how that flows, how we can share that love with other people. That foundation should still be the foundation for all of us, but as adults, we get so distracted and overwhelmed with all of the different strategies that we need to partake in, that it gets very messy and chaotic. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, it talks about unity. Paul's talking all about how the church needs to have more unity. In Hamilton County, the last time I checked, the statistic is we have uh, 3.2 billion churches in this county. Um, and in that, that can feel very divisive. And Paul knew that there's always going to be arguments on theology and different lines and, and frustration points and different things like that. But when he talked about unity, he talked about Jesus and he said this. So then... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole body being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's indwelling spirit, building the foundation you're building up your life. You're trying to make all these decisions. You're reading your Bible, trying to understand God, built on the teachings from the Bible that God has provided us. But ultimately, all of that being said, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And if you haven't heard the very popular in-church metaphor of Jesus being the cornerstone, is that's the first stone laid in the building being built. It sets the structure of everything else. Everything, if you've ever done flooring in your house, if that first piece of flooring is crooked, you are in bad shape the rest of the time. The same goes for a building. Jesus is the cornerstone that sets the structure, the direction, the, how level it is for the rest of the building. If you don't have your cornerstone set well, the rest of it is hogwash. In the same way in our lives, Paul's saying, unity doesn't come from you all having every single brick laid exactly the same way. There are things we need to stand by and are more uh, structurally important to the building, but ultimately laying your life on the Bible and its teachings, but ultimately final first and foremost is Jesus Christ, who he is and who he says you are as laid as the foundation and you build everything up off of that. Uh, give me a second, my note's closed because I'm trying to preach from a Kindle for the first time and I don't know, I didn't know how well that was going to work. Then in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians we have a passage in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Uh, it talks about the role of God's servants, and it says this, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and uh, another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be obvious. For the day will, be, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. So 
in this reference point, there are different stones used to build this building, and there's nothing to be wrong with the gold, the silver, the, the fancy nice wood that's used to structurally build up this building that is nice and strong. But the foundation has to be laid by Jesus Christ, or none of the rest of the strategies work. You can execute so many strategies for your, uh, for your kids, for your families, for your parents in so many different ways. For your friendships, you can try to build the greatest New Year's resolutions ever. But what the Bible says is if your foundation isn't firmly on Christ, the rest of it's going to crumble. You are not built. You are not designed. You were not created to be the Tower of Pisa. A beautiful building. One of the most beautiful buildings that are standing today that is very crooked. And it is destined to fall. It might look nice. No one can use the building anymore. It's just used for really cliche and cheesy pictures of people pretending to hold it up. That's all it's good for. It can't be used as a building anymore. And the same way goes for us. We can make a beautiful building out of our lives, but it's not laid on the foundation of who Jesus is and who's he's, who he's called us for. It all falls apart. The same goes for our parenting, our friend groups, our marriages, our relationships, our work. We can build something beautiful that is destined to fall if not laid on the right foundation. We are called to lay the foundation first, Jesus as our cornerstone. Otherwise, the pretty rocks we use and the grand structures we build are destined to crumble. Parents, I want you to hear this. It is possible for you to teach your kids all of the knowledge you can ever dream of about the Bible, the church, and the statutes of God, and completely botch showing them what God's joy truly looks like, teaching them how to be generous, how to love their neighbor, and how to, be, how to have personal relationship with their Father in heaven. All of this builds from the people in my life that I know that were raised in the church. They went to church with me growing up, or they were part of my school system, and I've watched their life go a different direction. And many times, now as an adult, as I look at different things, I can look at their families and see their families paid good money to, go to, to send their kids to go to the private school that I went to. Their parents took them to church. But I've talked to friends that have said, yeah, I grew up going to private school. I grew up going to church. I never saw my dad read the Bible at home. I knew dad gave money to the church and tithing, but, but I didn't really know why. I saw my dad raise his hand in worship, but then I, when I heard him around the dinner table talking about the neighbors, ew. My dad really was bitter towards people. This is not me talking about my dad for the record. If he watches this, I want you to know, Sheldon, that wasn't about you. That was metaphorical. My dad did great. My mom and dad did great at, at teaching me so many different things structurally and foundationally about Jesus. But here's the deal. There's so many different parenting structures that you can take. You can try so many strategies. You can pay all the money in the world to send them to all the right schools. But if you aren't showing them what your foundation is, if I bring my daughter Cornelia up on this stage and you ask her, what is the most important things to your dad? And she doesn't know that my heart being in Jesus' hands is the most important thing to me. I mean, to hell with all the other strategies. That if they don't know that the God of the universe the God of the universe created them and loved them in every bit of everything we do down here. My Saturday mornings watching college football are a gift from God, that that ties into him. 
that my Sunday mornings, even though I look stressful, stressed on Sunday mornings when our volunteers are low, that is a blessing from God to get to teach kids and point them to their Savior in heaven. That if we execute all these different strategies, but they are not seeing it in our lives, we're missing the point. So I say all of this because some of us are about to make some New Year's resolutions. Some of us are trying to execute something perfectly. I once worked with a pastor who had a grand plan leading up into the new year. He was finally going to get in shape. He is finally going to start making, that's the most classic New Year's resolution. Some of us, I encourage you to do so if you need to. It's a great thing to have a goal for your life. But the reality is all of the planning and the resolutions might fall apart. He planned on starting his new plan uh, to, to work out and to lose weight. And the week of Christmas Eve, he bent over on a hill to get a golf ball and snapped his leg in half. Ugh, I know, but bear with me. All of these strategies and this planning, they're going to fall apart, but you know what stays the same? The foundations of who God is, who he says you are, and what he's calling from you. In raising your family, in, in working in your marriage, in working in your work, in being a child, whether that's an adult child uh, under your parents or a child child that's in this room, God has a plan and a structure for your life. And what I'm asking of you in the new year is to lean into him and his foundation. Ask yourself two questions. First things first, in your heart of heart, what is your truest foundation? In your heart of heart, what is your truest foundation? Before I ask this last question, I'm gonna invite Josh up. In your heart of hearts, what is your truest foundation in your life? Because I know I used to have this thing, uh, you know the popular uh, wristbands that were very popular in the 80s and 90s, maybe even before that, the WWJD bracelets that every single one of us have probably worn or had a Bible bookmark or something like that in some way, shape or form. Uh, what would Jesus do? <laughs> I don't think I've ever told anybody this genuinely. I went through a pretty hard year in 2020 and 2021, those two years combined together. And I was really struggling with a lot of things. And all of that I used as, as a, kind of a battering ring to just beat myself up in things that I was struggling with. And I actually built a new acronym that I wrote on my whiteboard. I haven't even told Kinsey this, my wife. So if she's watching this, she's learning it for the first time. Uh, I wrote on my whiteboard the letters. I had to write it down to make sure I didn't mess it up. I put WWTTIWTBD. And it meant, what would the tie I want to be do? And I was not taking away from what would Jesus do because I want to be more like Jesus, to be very clear. But the tie I wanted to be knew, Ty knows he loves Jesus. Ty knows I want God to have everything that I have. God knows that my number one goal in my life right now is to love my family and point them to him every single day, no matter what happens, good, success, and powerful and awesome, or bad down in the depths, I want my kids to know, oh, I'm good because my feet are set so soundly on Jesus Christ and his promises for me. And so I can try to come up with a whole bunch of different strategies and a whole bunch of different plans and a whole bunch of different ways, but do I pray with my kids? Do they see me in my Bible? Do they know that God loves them? Not because of what they're learning from other people, but do I tell them that and show them that in the Bible? Do they see me when the bills come in? Do they see me experience stress and worry and then hand that over to Jesus? I'm not talking about how to do that. I'm talking about believing it in your heart and watching that flow out and letting your kids learn from the things that you do. 
So this year, I want to ask you, how is your foundation communicated to the people who are structurally involved in your life? What are they seeing? I don't want you to come up with some strategy of, I'm not, I'm, this isn't me saying, hey, have a goal this year to t- tell 10 people about Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Look at yourself in your own heart. Know that God loves you so much and he has a never ending grace in watching you struggle down here. Do you think God thinks that you're supposed to have it all figured out? Why are you beating yourself up when God's like, of course you're struggling with this. I know this is hard. And so when you step back and you look foundationally at what you believe, what I wrote down for myself is that I believe that God is real, he's powerful, he's mighty, he's big, he created the whole universe with just a word, and yet he loves me. And he loves me so much that even though I sin continuously and I fail pathetically every single day, he offers me grace and forgiveness in a way that stems from the fact that he didn't leave me down here by myself. He sent Jesus down here to live a life, to die on the cross and step forward in that way. In paying the price for my sin, solving my sin problem and then beating death so that I know that no matter what I'm struggling with down here, no matter how messy my life is, I'm good because he built me. I'm good because he's got me. He's already paid the price. So my call for you is not to do anything crazy. My goal for you is to do this. Pray real prayers over and with your friends. Let your kids see you spending time in God's word. Make church a priority. Make Christ the true cornerstone and let it be audaciously obvious to the people around you that he is. You don't have to execute some incredible strategy or have the greatest grand revolution. You don't have to have an hour devotional every morning if you're already spending, I'm not telling you to do more. I'm saying believe what you believe and then let that flow from you. Learn through this what God says about you and then live your life that way. If you're gonna tell your kids, don't be anxious and trust God, show them what that ebb and flow of anxiety and then leaning in and handing that over to God looks like. Let them hear you say you're sorry. Let them know when you were afraid and why you're not afraid anymore because you know that God's got you. When you have anger, let them know that you failed and you sinned sometimes, but God has forgiven you. When you talk to your friends, let them know that you failed. When they're going through something, don't say, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. Pray for them right then. (sighs) Don't be the person that says, I'll pray for you and then forgets to pray for them later. We've all done it. Pray for them right then. Be about it. Be what you already believe. That's my call for you this year. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the center of the universe, step forward into your new year as if that's actually true. If you believe God has forgiven you and he's with you every step of the way, step into new year as if that's actually true. If you believe that God has a plan for your family, a plan for your friend group, a plan for your marriage, whether it's at a high right now or a low, walk into next year and say, God's not done with me and act like that's actually true. And that will change your perspective on your entire life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for Jesus Christ and the foundation that he lays on our life so that our feet can stand firm and that we can live forever with you through the promises that you've given us. I pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.